Woo. Let me tell you, I, I, everybody who's spoken to me this morning, I've been saying the same thing. I'm so excited. This is my last Sunday here. And by, oh, that's under way too much depress, too depressing. Let me rephrase that. It is the last Sunday before the Aguchis come back. And for those who have never done ministry in any shape, way, or form, whether it's youth pastoring, young adult stuff, the pressure, the spiritual weight that you carry, I am so glad. I know I help carry it, but I'm so done. I'm tired. Um, you know, it's, I, I just want to enjoy my summer, go home, and I have to think about anything else. If this is your first time here, uh, we are in the middle of this thing called Mic Drop, where we try our best every year to give our pastors a much-needed break just to be with family, vacation, recharge, revamp. Um, and for the whole month, we've had a bunch of different people within this church as well as outside of the church just come and speak. And honestly, for me, I love it. I love hearing what other community leaders are doing, are sharing. Uh, I, st I'm still re I still remember the message, the first Sunday when Pastor Mike came in and just this beautiful imagery of what it meant to be in the hands of God. And honestly, like I've held to it. And even having Ordas, Mike, and Tip come in, and um, I know I have a really good relationship with them. I, I could give them a bunch of just crap about stuff, and I text them and say really weird things to them because they laugh and they love me, and it's okay. But it was just the idea of being able to come to church and doing the deep work that is required of us to do what God has called us to do. And so today is our last day or, or the last Sunday of our Mic Drop series. And then starting next month, we have this thing called Breaking Bread. And I am super excited about that. It's the idea that there's so, there are so many different instances where Jesus is eating. And if you're like me, I love to eat. And there's so much truth and so much knowledge that we could gain from just reading about what Jesus did with people as he literally broke bread with them. So that's the series we're going to start next month. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about 2 Kings chapter 4. So for those that have a phone or have a Bible and you feel, you know, feel led to open up your Bibles, I'm going to be reading primarily out of 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 8 all the way to 32. We're going to take it apart piece by piece by piece. Let me pray and we'll go straight to it. Lord, man, what an honor, Lord Jesus. I know, Father, I, I pray this every single time, and I'll repeat it every single time, Lord. It's just an honor to be here today, to be able to be used by you, Lord. We believe that you speak to us and you speak through us. And I pray, Lord God, that as I filter this message once again, that you speak through me. Lord, I pray, Father, that just like this message 20 years ago defined a moment in my life, that this message could also define some of our moments moving forward. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Back about 15 years ago, when I was just starting doing ministry, uh, we were tasked with going to this weekend retreat up in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I grew up in this denomination called Church of God. I was ordained through the church. My wife and I actually were ordained. I still are. We still haven't <laughs> resigned those, those licenses. Uh, we were ordained through the Church of God. And when we were young, there, was, there were very big expectations for people like myself. And uh, I, I, I was wondering as I was, pre I, was, I was thinking about this, man, I wonder if those people that will talk to me 20 years ago, like, would they be proud of what I'm doing today? Because some of the things that they thought that I would be able to do, like now, it's crazy 
it was some, I mean, and I, and I love it. I have enjoyed them. But I remember it was 20 years ago. We went to this big conference where there was like 15,000 young people. And the only reason why I was there, I wasn't there to serve. I wasn't there to do anything else besides to learn. Learn what those people were doing. Learn what the leadership was doing. Listen to the conversations. Sit around all the leaders that were there. Sit around with all the pastors and just listen and learn so that we can bring the knowledge back to our youth ministry. Because at that point, our youth ministry was blowing up. We had about 100 people at a smaller church with the with, with with a 19-year-old, because I was 19 years old at that point, doing youth ministry, and people were so excited. And I remember sitting down at the pews, and this guy, my favorite preacher, is Judah Smith. Love Judah Smith. He's my dude. And I remember I was in the front row seat, and he preached this message. His dad had just passed away, and he was given the mantle, the responsibility to lead the church in Seattle. And you could see the rawness, and you could hear the pain. And if I would have known then what I know now, I would have paid way more closer attention to the message that was preached. Because this message, although I didn't copy it word by word by word, was inspired by that moment. And, and the best way that I can describe this for you, if I was the worship pastor here, the music that we will play will be the music that inspires me, that encourages me, that challenges me. I listen to this message about twice a year. I just sit down and I just listen. It takes me back to the moment. And it's one of those messages that really just encouraged me. And this was, this was the message that kind of took me through the dark season that I often reference. It was messages like these that made me believe and remind myself that trusting in the Lord and trusting in God was the best thing that I can possibly do. And I remember that so clear. At the time, I had no idea what was going to happen, where I was going to end in life, and where, where, I, where I was going to be in ministry. But it was such a powerful message that was preached that evening and I still hold that. I hold on to this message on a day-to-day -day basis. So I pray, and my prayer all this week has been, Lord, I'm not expecting to be as great as Judah Smith because I think he's the best preacher in the world. But I am praying that by the time we're done here, you are inspired, challenged, and encouraged to remember this message because it's only a matter of time when you go through a dark season. It's only a matter of time when you go through something difficult. And to be able to hold on to the idea that Jesus is faithful and Jesus is good and Jesus is love can carry you through some very, very dark moments. So let me go ahead and read off 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It says, one day, oh, let me kind of stop here for a second. Uh, I said this earlier, not on purpose. Um, but I have a speech impairment, <laughs> and I don't pronounce my letters correctly. And I know for some of us who grew up in church, you know there's an Elisha and there's an Elijah. And, and I don't know why. I go back and forth. I'm not talking about Elijah today. It's strictly Elisha. So you see the J in there? It, was, it wasn't done on purpose. I can't control my lips. I can't control the sounds that come out of my mouth. So yes, no, I'm talking about the same person. I'm not going back and forth. This is one day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there. And she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed away, he would stop there for something to eat. See, she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay wherever he comes by. Like right off the bat, we have this clear picture of, this, of two people, the Shunammite lady and Elijah. Now, the Shunammite lady, the Bible is very clear, is a very, very wealthy person. But she notices that there's a man that comes to her city. There's a man that comes to her town. And he's there to do whatever God is asking him to do. And the one thing she doesn't want him to worry about is a place to eat, 
a place to rest, a place to relax, a place where he can go and find time and peace so he can focus on whatever God is asking him to do. And I was taken back to about 15 years ago again. I grew up in a very Mexican ethnic church, and it was a big deal when your pastor asked you to preach, especially doing a midweek service or a Sunday service. And I remember he goes, hey, Raphael, I know what you're doing. I love the fact that God is using you. Why don't you come and preach? I was nervous. My mom was there, and I immediately looked over at my mom, and she was like, you better do it. Like, you need to do this. And I, I was dying deep down inside. Like, these were my peers. These were the people that used to see me all the way in the back upset about nothing. These were the people who used to see in the back and go, there's no way that he's going to be serving the Lord. Because I hated going to church. My mom made me go to church. Even when I was 18, I was forced to go to church. And they, there was never a question. If it was Friday, church. If it was Sunday, it was church. There was never a compromise. We always went to church on Fridays. And we went to church on Sundays. But I remember that day, for those who remember like Cray, back in the day, like 15 years ago, there was a song called Set Me I'll Go. It was based on Isaiah. And that was the message I preached. And I remember coming down of the, out, of, out, of the, out of the pulpit area, and a lot of my kids that were there were like, we're so proud of you. And as I was walking back to the very end, I knew there was a gentleman that was waiting for me because all he did was stare me down. So I went up to him. I shook his hand. And as soon as I shook his hand, I felt a piece of paper in there. And immediately I was like, Lord, I'm not going to do this for money. I'm not going to serve you for a financial blessing. I'm doing this because I love you. But on the other side, I was a college kid who was broke. I was working, going to school full-time. I was part-time at a job, and I was trying to do full-time ministry. And for those, I know Aiden's not here, but youth ministry, even at that stage, is a lot of work. They, they want you to go to games. They want you to be there for them. They want you to take them out. They want community. So there was a lot of work. And I remember he looks at me, he goes, yo, I know it's not you. I know it's God through you, but I am so thankful for the things that you've done in this community. I'm so thankful for because for the first time on a Friday night, my kids want to come to church. And all I remember as a father today, I can clearly see why that was so important for them. The fact that there was somebody that was in their son or a brother or an uncle that was investing time in their kids meant a whole lot to those parents. And I didn't know that. I assumed that. But now that I'm a dad, I am so thankful for people like Madison. I'm so thankful for, for people like Aiden because I don't have the energy. I don't want to do that. And similarly, in the same way, Elijah was only doing what God was calling him to do. And the least that this woman could do was feed him and give him a place to rest. Why? Because Elijah, for the first time, or at least in a long time, felt seen. And you have no idea how important it is to feel seen when you're doing ministry because there's so much time and effort that goes into doing this. I kid you not, in this month alone, I have probably practiced both of my messages 30 hours. Just preaching by myself. I come here because I, I live like five minutes away. I come here, I, I lock myself in, I turn on all the ACs because Lord knows I cannot operate when there's heat in the room. And I practice this. And that doesn't even include the time that it takes to study and to break things down and spend time with the Lord. And when you have somebody like Elijah who's doing what God has called him to do, it's hard work. It is hard work. It requires a deep work like the orders we're talking about. It requires sacrifice. This is why when I talk to the Yaguchis, I'm like, yo, take the whole summer off. Go. Because I remember how, what it felt like to do ministry. And when I mean ministry, I'm talking about pastoring. Talking about the coffee days that people don't always, don't always remember. Conversations, text messages, phone calls at the end of the day, phone calls during your lunch break. And here is a woman who had no relation with this dude. Says, I see you. 
And yes, I have financial blessings because often just a church, we focus a lot about broken people and broken people in the Bible. I know I got money. Don't worry about a thing. Just come. Every time you come to this city, there's always a place for you to be at. She recognized that Elisha was a man of God. A man of God. Destined to come to the city. Clearly, this dude was coming to Shunem quite a bit of times because the Shunemite lady recognized him. And so as we keep reading, uh, uh, for verse 11 or 13, it says this. One day Elijah returned to Shunem and he went up to his upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elijah said to Gehazi, tell her. I love this line. I, it cracks me up. We appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Now listen to the name drops. Can we put in a good word for you to the king or the commander of the army? Like, yo, I know people. I am connected. No, she responds, my family takes good care of me. Now I do want to emphasize this point here for just a second. This wasn't a polite no. This wasn't like you got to ask me three times before I say yes to you. Like this is no. I am good. My family takes good care of me. And it cracks me up because here's Elijah like, who thinks that the only way to repay her back is by saying, look, I know somebody. I know the commander of the army. Is your neighbor bugging you? Just say the word. I'll give the word and somebody will come and handle that business. Is your neighbor being rude to you because I know somebody who can literally fight your battles. Is someone being annoying to your spouse or to your family because if you do, I know somebody, the commander of the army, who can take care of business. And if that's not enough, all is good. I also know the key. Like the dude who leads all of us, I know him too. So if there's anything that you need to get done, I, 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 I know somebody. Say the word. I'll give them the word. I have enough pull, I have enough connections, and I will make it happen. So many of us, including myself, like, oh, man, maybe, I, maybe I'll take you up on the offer. But this lady, she goes, no, I am good. Now, let me read something to you because every time I tried to practice this, I couldn't say it right. So I'm going to read it to you. Too often, we as people serve in the church in hopes that we might convince God enough to answer that one particular prayer. We think we serve because we are good, but if we took the time to actually be honest with ourselves, we actually serve because we secretly want God and others to see that we are good. Some of us serve one another because we know that our Elijah, our version of Elijah is good with the commander of the army. We know he is well connected with the king. So we think that if we are good to our version of Elijah, then in return they will speak highly of you and you get what you wanted, the promotion the contract, that relationship, wouldn't it be sad if the only reason why I invited you to coffee was because I knew that your brother was wealthy and, and I was able to connect to him through you? Like, wouldn't it be sad if the only reason why you invited me for coffee is because you think that me and Taka are best buddies and the only way to get a Taka is to go through me? Like, wouldn't it be awful if the only reason why somebody is your friend is not because they want your friendship, they want the things that come out of you, whether it's a free meal, whether it's a free vacation, whether it's your extra homes that you may or may, I don't have an extra home, so don't ask for an extra home, or whatever it may be. Like, it's a horrible feeling to know that you are being used only for their purpose. It's horrible, and I think everybody in this room can relate with that. 
I'm assuming that as you get older and you mature, you start cutting some of those friends that are only there because of your connections. I hang out with the dude. I love this guy. But everywhere we go, it doesn't matter where we go. The only reason why he's talking to the cashier, the only reason why he's talking to the barista is because if he knows that there's something he or she has to offer, he'll make a connection because it will benefit them. And it's the most heartbreaking thing because for me, honestly, I just want to be friends. And I know it sounds super cheesy, and my wife will tell you this, over the over, especially during the pandemic, I, I would go to coffee shops because that's where I like to go hang out with Jesus. And oftentimes people will come up to my wife and I at Target or Sprout or Whole Foods, and they will start with, like, man, I love your shoes, and I get excited because I like shoes, and someone saw my shoes, and I want to talk about my shoes. And they'll, they'll start, you know, commenting on it and all this other stuff. And we will sit there, stand there for 30 minutes just so, just so they could say something like, yo, I know somebody that is making a lot of money, and you could just stay home and don't have to work anymore. And I would get so angry. Like, yo, I just wanted to be friends. I thought you were friends. I know it was weird that you were talking to me when I was picking up an apple. But I just wanted to be your friend. And I remember I was at a coffee shop around the corner from me about six months ago, about a year ago. And I told my wife when I go home because I felt so bad. I felt like a jerk. I was sitting down and there was a couple, sweet couple with a little kid. Just wanted to have a conversation. And I, because this was like the fourth time that it, that it had happened to me. I was like, yo, I'm sure you're a nice dude. But every time someone says that to me, all they want to do is take me to a friend that you don't want to talk about or give me a name so that I could be a millionaire. It's annoying. It's annoying. And here we have a beautiful example of a woman. We don't even know her name. We just know the city she's from. That the only reason why she's doing this for Elisha, it's not because of the, of the connections or the things that he has to offer. She's doing it for goodness sake. And I think if we want to continue to create a space for a voice in Tustin, can I just continue to encourage you? Let's continue to serve one another for goodness sake. Because you love Jesus so much so that this is the way that you repay whatever you feel like you need to repay back. You serve one another because you love. Not because you want something in return and connections. And as we keep reading, you got to give me a second. It says later, Elijah asked Gehazi, he's still not satisfied. What can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son that escalated quickly. And her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elijah told him. When the woman returned, Elijah said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arm. Now listen to the response. No, my Lord, exclamation point. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Clearly, you get the sense that this lady, one of the biggest things she's ever wanted to do was to have a kid and be called a mother. And I think everybody here, or at least most of us in here can relate. Whether we know somebody or don't, I know my wife and I have had a super hard time conceiving for the, for, for, you know, for the last five years. And one of the most frustrating things, is not that people ask, because you could ask me, I have a little one, it's a natural conversation. But it's when they begin to talk, talk about it as in like, we don't have good faith, or we're not praying enough, or we're not fasting enough. If, like, if I was her, one of the things I would have done is prayed about it, fasted about it, 
I would have told my close friends about it. I would have told the people that I love and that I share. It's like, yo, look, my wife and I are having a hard time. We are syncing up. We're doing everything we can possibly do. We're going to the doctors. We are investing money, and it just hasn't happened. And I could only imagine the level of excitement because you've got to understand that during this time, Elijah was literally the mouthpiece of God. So whatever he said, they took it as gold. They took it as value. They took it as if God was literally telling us and telling her, like, by this time next year, you're going to have a kid. So when she responds, it's like, yo, I know you are a prophet. I know that you're a man of God. I know that God speaks to you. So when you say it, I hear your voice, but I know it's God speaking through you. So God, don't get me excited. Don't get me, start, don't let me start thinking about things and, and let my mind go crazy about outfits and presents and gender reveals and everything else that goes into having a kid. I don't want to get excited. I don't want to, I don't want to get my hopes up. And hope is such a powerful thing. As we read, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Affirming who? For God can be trusted to keep his promises. One of the, one of the beautiful things, at least in, in my second half of doing ministry, is that I have the benefit of the doubt to look back and look at a lot of different things. There's been so many instances in my life where I go, Lord, why did you close this door? Why did you take this person away from, away from us? Why did you open that door? And oftentimes I was like, her, like, Lord, don't get me excited. You know I wanted this. Don't get me excited, Lord. I don't want to get a heartbreak. I don't want to be overwhelmed and full of anxiety. I, I know that you're doing things, and I can sense that you're doing things, but please don't get me excited. Don't let my mind start wondering and start planning things with things that you say you're going to give me, but I don't have, but you're going to give it to me anyways. And the reason why we can, the reason why we can hope or hope, so hold on to hope, at least for, my, for, for us, is that my hope is not in my abilities. It used to be. It's not in my capabilities. It used to be. But the hope that I have and the things that God has spoken into my life, I hold on to them because they are, they, are, they are connected to God. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another of, to acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the return is near. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 26 and 31 says this. Look up into the heavens who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strengths. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Why? Because their hope and trust is connected to God. There is a, a, a sense of relief when you know, going back to what Pastor Matt said the first Sunday, there's a sense of relief when you know you are in God's hands. He got you. Verse 17 of 2 Kings, as we continue to read. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha has said. One day when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvester. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. Now this other line cracked me up too. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother, <laughs> as if he couldn't do anything about it. So the servant took him home, 
and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the men of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, sent one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the men of God and come right back. And I listen to verse 23 because this line would always get me mad. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. And my favorite translation says, all is well. What do you mean all is well? Like your kid just died. And not only did he die, but like he died in your arms. My grandma shares a story. I'm, I'm, I'm a junior, Raphael. My dad's also Raphael. But the one before him was also Raphael. Um, and she tells a story, and every time she tells a story, she cries because she could relate literally with this. Because the first Raphael, at age two or three, got the flu up in El Salvador, because where my dad is from. Not just going to do anything about it. Boom, passed away in her arms. And no matter, she's 80-something, no matter how many years have passed by since then, the pain is still real. The pain is still real. But verse 20 says, why go today? As I was getting ready and I was reading things, the assumption is that the lady never told the husband that her kid had died. Her first reaction was not to tell the husband, like, yo, our son just passed away. And so when, he, when, when she sends a message, like, hey, send a donkey. I need to go to the man of God. I need to go to church. She, he's like, why are you going to church? He has, he's just has a headache. Why are you being so dramatic? Give him an Advil. Give him Tylenol. Let him take a nap. Let him take a shower. Like, why are we going to church for this? Why are we going to go bother the pastor of the church? He just has a headache. And her response was, everything is going to be all right. All is well. Why? Because we got Bible verses like Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. And if he goes before you, he will be with you. And if he's with you, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, and it's one of my favorite verses. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think all of us know some people that should be having a mental health crisis, but some have some more. They're putting it together. It is not because they're faking it. It's not because they're just forcing it, but it's because deep down they know that no matter what happens, God is with them. No matter the situation, God is with them. No matter where they go in life, God is with them. And I think it is a beautiful assumption for us to carry as believers in Jesus. Even if this is your first time, one of the greatest gifts that we have is the understanding that God is with us no matter where we go. Even with the things that he gives us, like in this case, God gave her this promise. And this promise, the same promise that perhaps she was hoping for is the same thing that is breaking her heart. She understood and knew that she could complain about it, she can cry about it, or she could go straight to God, which she did, because she understood that God is with us. And it's a beautiful imagery and a beautiful just picture to understand. It has made me whole. It has made me a better person. Just understanding that no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation, God got me. And if he's got me, yes, I'm going to stress about it. But I think you could ask my wife, one of the best gifts that I think I have as a husband is that for the most part, God has given me this beautiful gift to kind of just keep things cool. My wife, on the other hand, <laughs> she falls apart instantly. But that is who she is, and I love her for it. She's emotional. She's great. But even through that mess, 
God is with her. And God is with us. And as we read, and we're almost done here, verse 24, so she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down until, unless I tell you there's urgency. As she approached the men of God at Mount Carmel, Elijah saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? And here she responds, everything is fine. But when she came to the men of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Now, please don't do what Gehazi is about to do. Gehazi began to push her away. And how often we do this. We don't understand emotions sometimes at church. There's been so many times that all I want to do is go to my corner over there and just sit. Sit. Can we continue to create a space for people to feel their feels as they encounter God? Gehazi began to push her away, but the men of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. And then verse 28, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? She's clearly feeling the feels here. She, she's clearly feeling the weight of what had just happened. The one thing that she perhaps was praying about, the one thing that she held dear to herself, it's gone. And up until this point, what we see is this person, a beautiful woman who has it together, who has kept it together, professing that all is well when we can clearly see that that's not the case and she waits until she goes to God and says Lord did I ask you for this I was already content with the life I had I, not because I thought you were going to do it anymore but because I understood that in this season this was what, this was what you had for me this has been my prayer over and over again. Over and over again. I started this off by telling you that we grew up at a, you know, at a church and there were so many big expectations for myself and my wife. We were traveling. I was traveling to different countries doing what I'm doing today. I didn't ask to be a youth pastor. In fact, I was sitting all the way in the back and the pastor goes, yo, there's a calling in your life. Clearly you got influence and people listen to you. So why don't you start doing a Bible study? And then that led into something else. And my, my youth pastor left. And they go, why don't you become the youth pastor? Like, I don't want to be a youth pastor. I'm not, I'm not even 19. I'm not even married because in my mind, everyone told me that in order for you to be a pastor, you needed to be married. And I was 19. And then that transitioned into a young adult ministry that I didn't ask for. But there was, there was a need and the pastors told me to do it, but I didn't want to do it. And those are the same things that today for the last five years when I talk about have been the things that I've been struggling with. Lord. I didn't ask to be a pastor. I didn't ask to do anything. I was okay just being in the back. That was home to me. That was comfortable to me. Comfortable. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence. So your faith, your journey, your journey with God is what gives you confidence in the things that you're hoped for. And it gives you the assurance about the things that you don't see. 
for those who have been journeying this for a while, I'm, I, you can relate with this a whole lot. You're able to look back. And even during the times when you say, God, I didn't ask for this, you begin to appreciate this moments because clearly there was a reason for it. And then I'll end with this, I promise. Verse 29, then Elijah said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take myself, take my staff and, and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. I won't go home unless you go with me. For you, it might not even be a child thing. But I could almost guarantee you that a lot of us are praying for the one or two things. I've been praying for two things for 20 years. Two things. One of them has gotten very, very bad. And the other one doesn't seem to be improving. Two things. And maybe you have your prayer that you have prayed over and over and over. Maybe it's something that you fasted over and over and over. Maybe it is something that your close friends and relatives know about that no one knows about, but you want God so desperately to intervene. So desperately to intervene. And I'll leave you with this final verse in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I don't have time to tell you the context of it, besides that there was a father who had a son who was demonically possessed. He goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, can you free my son? Can you free him? Now listen to what Jesus says. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. unbelief. And I believe that God is telling some of you, what do you mean if I can? Of course I can go home with you today and be in the midst of you and your spouse. Of course I can go home with you today and be with you as you wrestle through this desert that you're in. Of course I can be with you wherever you go. I'm with you. Wherever you may be, I'm with you. It's not, it's not if I'm going to be there. Just know that I am there. What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for those who believe. And I love this line. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. There's this raw moment where this dude wants to believe that God is going to do what God is telling him to do. But on the other side, he doesn't really believe it either. In this beautiful dichotomy that we all live in. Where you believe in God 100%. And then sometimes you doubt his existence. You believe that God is faithful, but then sometimes you doubt that he is. And the beautiful thing about a relationship with God is if you go to God, he's there. And he will help you with your unbelief. So as I close and pray, we're going to do a little, we're going to worship up here. The elders are going to be standing on this side. If there's anything that we can pray with you or pray about, we will love to pray. But just know that anything is possible. And I sound super cheesy because I don't like hearing cheesy stuff either. Anything is possible for those who believe because our hope and our assurance and confidence is found in the faith that we have in Jesus. Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness inside this room. Thank you, God, for the opportunity you have given us to just be here. Lord, for the unnamed, the unspoken, the, the hidden things in our hearts and our minds, I pray that you go there today. I pray that you will let them know that you are present. Don't let them live this room without them realizing that you are here. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to just give a big thank you to Raphael for his message and for everything 
him and Kathy have done um, this past month. Um, we're so thankful for them and their hearts. And um, really the message today, I think um, it spoke to me really honestly, um, especially the question of just the whys in life and um, thinking of, oh, is all well, <laughs> you know? And so I, uh, when I was in college, I was not an emotional person, but I would always cry when I would look back and tell the stories of where God really showed up in my life. And I had someone ask me, um, why do you always cry when you tell like happy stories, but never when you talk about like all the hardships in your life? And to Raphael's message, it really is that idea of God does show up. And when he does, it is amazing. And you remember that all is well because you're following Jesus and because he is with you. And so I do cry when I think about how God does take us out of the deserts. And I don't know if you ask yourself like, oh, will this ever end? Or will I get to this point um, where I'll see light? And I mean, I can tell from experience that you will, and there's people here who want to talk with you, who want to walk with you, who have been through similar things probably, and that's the beauty of community. So um, always just want to, you know, talk about that and just encourage you to hang out a little bit or come to, you know, whatever we're doing. But I know um, God has pulled me out of some of the darkest times of my childhood, like you know, Raphael mentioned a lot can come from when we're younger or, and then brings up when we're older. Um, and I know my community that I found here and in school and these people that God put in my life specifically to say, Hey, I'm here and I'm going to help you out. And I'm like, this can't be anything but God, because I never felt like I deserved community or friendships and I wasn't looking for it and God said well I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna put these people in your life and so um, we're here to talk like I said the prayer team's here to pray with you and I um, just want to again say thank you to Raphael then the community for stepping up this last month I know it was a lot but um, you know we're just so thankful for every person who shows up to listen to the messages to volunteer to speak um, we just want to say thank you um, and just also wanted to mention, we do take a free will offering. You can either drop that off in one of the generosity boxes or give online. Um, we think that online's pretty easy. So if you um, don't want to fill out a card, um, just head to um, voice.church slash give. Um, and then something we do here, um, if we all want to stand, um, and then something we do, if you're comfortable, we hold out our hands just to receive what God is speaking to our hearts. So if you want to hold out your hands with me, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to one more song in your formally dismissed. Um, dear God, thank you for every heart here. Thank you for bringing everyone here into this room. It's such a special place. And um, you always just remind us that all is well when we follow you, no matter the day or the night or whatever comes in between. Um, we're just so reminded that you bring the peace and love that we might not find in our day-to-day -day lives or world and that you're such a safe place for us. Um, we ask that you just speak with us and through us. You use us as a church, as community, as individuals to go into this week and speak out your word. Um, and we thank you and we love you. Amen.